Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, again uh, tonight for bringing us together to, to study more about your church on earth and especially how you've acted in history to preserve your church. We pray uh, that you would uh, help us to see through uh, modern history, especially tonight, uh, some of the effects of the world and the culture on the church and also how the church can serve the world around it. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, tonight I'm going off book. Um, We've been working a lot, kind of straight out of the book. I'm going to go off book tonight because I think out of all the history stuff so far, this section of the kind of, um, let's just broadly say the 20th century, although really um, some aspects also of the 19th century as well, uh, the book does not cover very well as far as what was affecting the church in history, at least in my opinion. Um, Basically with the 19th century, it does, I mean, the stuff that we've already covered about the Lutherans coming to America um, and what the Lutherans did initially when they got to America has been very good. Um, but then at, it just it has this paragraph, a couple paragraphs on page 238 about World War II and renewed growth and unity. And basically it's just like World War II happened and there was a lot of mergers in the Lutheran church. But that's kind of simplistic because um, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, I'm actually not going to talk about World War II a lot. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in that time um, be- between uh, the when, when the Lutherans get here in eight, like in 1830, right when the Saxons get here in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and um, the 1960s, which is kind of where we're going to go up to 1960s, 70s, which is what we're going to go up to today. There's a lot of stuff that happens there that affects the church, and a lot of stuff that affects the church mainly in culture. So I'm calling this. Um, Modern revolutions in the church, and uh, this is a bit of uh, for for uh, Stephen Gary. This some of this might sound kind of familiar. A while back in men's group, probably over a year ago now, I discussed the industrial revolution and the sexual revolution with the men's group, and um, I want to do that tonight. Obviously, when we talked about that with the men, we talked about masculinity and how it affected masculinity but tonight we're going to talk about how these things affect the church so um to break this down there's basically three revolutions we're going to talk about the first two go together um the first two are the first industrial revolution and this is actually the 19th century but it does lay some important groundwork um, that's around like 17, like the late 1700s uh, to the, or the, really the mid 1700s to the, um, the dates I have for that are 1750 to 1850. Um, but really that 19th century uh, era there is um, when the first industrial revolution happens. And then um, along with that, uh, together with that, is what's called the technological revolution.
which takes place. Uh, the dates I have are 1870 to 1920. So if you kind of add those together again, really the um, 19th century leading up to this, and and then the um, third the the third revolution that's kind of separate from these that we'll treat separately is the sexual revolution. which I have dated here for, um, okay, actually I didn't really put dates on it, but uh, really happens between, we'll say 1920 to 1970. And obviously that's a big time period. And we'll see, um, we'll, we'll see how it kind of starts in the 20s, but then drops out and then comes back in. So, uh Anyway, a couple of caveats before we get started going through the history on this. So first of all, um, I have family. We all have family. Uh, and um, I, I know it's been said before uh, that some of us here lived in, in the 1970s, right? So, right. Oh, um, you and Annie, I don't know, Annie's married. Well, I was a little. Right. Um, we were all. But I have, you know, I have family who lived during this time, and grand uh, grandparents and great grandparents and great great grandparents as well, right? So, um, who lived all in these various times, mm-hmm. and um, this is not anything that we say tonight is not a value judgment on any individual person, right? So, this of course always it, this this is obviously true in some ways, but also always needs to be said is that whenever we talk about history and and we're speaking in very broad strokes we're not talking about individuals right i mean there were faithful christian individuals in all of these time periods right so whenever we talk about the sexual sexual revolution and it's uh you know negative consequences on the church it's not saying that everyone who lived during the time of the sexual revolution was a horrendous person who's now rotting in hell right like we're not we're not saying that um that's uh, it, it kind of needs to be said but um we're when we're talking in these broad strokes that's exactly what they are is they're broad they're broad strokes right so there's exceptions and there it's not about individuals um and there were and i'm going to try and point out as well that during these time periods there were other good things that were happening so it's not we're, we're going to talk a lot about the negative consequences of some of these things on the church, but there were some positive consequences for the church, and there were also um, other good things that were happening outside of these revolutions, right? But it's I I think to understand the modern church, we have to understand the modern revolutions because these revolutions changed society in humongous ways, mm-hmm. and so we really need to understand these things if we're going to understand why is the church so different today than it than it was. Um, 200 years ago, right? And I mean, some some things aren't different, but I mean, we're still celebrating the Lord's Supper, right? We're still baptizing people, we're still preaching the Bible, but some things are different, and um, it's important that we understand where we came from, right? So uh, that's so it's not a value judgment on individuals. It's also not a value judgment on um, specific. Some of the specific things we're going to talk about. So I'll try and make this clear as we talk about it. But like, we're going to talk about the difference between city life and rural life, 
And I'm not, when I say that, when we talk about some of those things, again, it's not a value judgment on cities or people who live in cities, right? It's just saying that there's a difference between living in a rural area and living in a city area. That's all it's saying. Um, and and some of the, the various uh, consequences of that, whether negative or positive, right? So again, um, or when we talk about the, the way that certain technologies change the way we interact, uh, again, that's not saying that, like, I mean, I, I carry a smartphone around, right? I uh, use computers to do my work. I do pastoral ministry by calling people on the phone and texting them. So whenever we talk about some of the ways that it changed that we communicate and things, again, uh, it's not at all a value judgment per se. It's that there's, there is positive and there are negatives, and we need to recognize both. Okay. Um, finally, my third caveat is that basically, obviously this is a very broad, uh, very broad topics here, and they affect not just the LCMS. So a lot of the things that we're going to talk about affect the Christian church and on a larger scale and multiple denominations. Um, and that's why the book doesn't really, I think, get into it in some ways. But I am going to try and tie in some LCMS-specific history here, which I think is pretty interesting. So um, just know that uh, when I, we talk about these things, like we're going to be talking about more broadly the American Christian church, not just the LCMS. But I will try and bring in some of the LCMS-specific things. Okay. All right. So with the first industrial revolution and the technological revolution, um, there's an important – a very important – uh, idea that I want to start out with, and that's the idea that um, we're gonna just for argument's sake, we're gonna say that the earth, that the world, um, is about six thousand years old, right? Now, I'm not super dogmatic on the age of the earth, um, so. Uh, That you, I mean, I'm okay with Christians who say that the earth is, is 8,000 or 10,000 years old. I mean, I do believe in a young earth. That's a whole different topic. Um, that's for a Genesis Bible study. But just for the sake of argument, let's be very conservative and say the earth is about 6,000, probably a little bit older, 6,000 years old. I mean, 6,000 some odd years old. Um, that's a very conservative estimation. If that's true, then – and we subtract the – 250 plus 23 years, so uh, 275 years or so, um, since the time of the first industrial revolution, that means that 95% of human history, of the history of the earth, since Adam and Eve, 95% was before the first industrial revolution. Okay, so 1750 seems like a long time ago to us, right? I mean, that seems like, I mean, that's like around when, that's like the founding fathers era, right? I mean, that's like a really long time ago, right? Well, that's only 5% of human history, right? And if the earth is a little bit older than that too, I mean, it's even less, right? More closer to like 97% or something, right? Um, So if you, yeah, if you do 10,000 years old, it's closer up to like 97% of human history. So 
My point in saying that is that this 5% of human history that we've been living in since the industrial and technological revolutions, and I mean, really, if you think about the end of the technological revolution, it's even less, right? I mean, it's a very small fraction. I mean, whatever, basically 100 100 years divided by, you know, 6,000 is, is... um, Quite, quite a small number, right? So, um, anyhow, my point is to say we're very much in on new ground here, right? And the point in saying that is that when we're on new ground, when we're in kind of untreaded territory, right? We should not be so quick to make judgments about. If we're on the you, – you ever heard hear this phrase? I'm sure you've heard this phrase, right? The right side of history. The right side of history. And people are going to look back and say whether or not you're on the right side of history or not. Well, to be on the right side of history, you really got to have more than 5% of history, right, to know if you're on the right side or not. And um, – we're, we're really just not that far into having the kind of technology that we have today in the course of human history. Um, there's been this exponential growth in technology since 1750 um, due to the industrial and technological revolutions that has just changed, uh, as we'll see, so many things. And it's very hard to make a judgment about that, right? And the reason I say that is because, again, just going back to a little bit what I was saying earlier, is that being in this new uncharted territory, we want to be able to try and look at it as objectively as possible and some of its consequences, again, both positive and negative. But we have to recognize that we just – maybe we don't know as much as we think we do, right? And I think this is one of the consequences of the industrial and technological revolutions – is that it's kind of caused us to think that we do know, mm-hmm. right? That we are capable of doing so much, right? We we can go to the moon, we can um, do we can do anything, right? We can we have instantaneous communication, right? We have artificial intelligence, we have whatever it is that we want to talk about. Um, it kind of makes us think that we can do anything, and that we do know everything. Um, but I want to point out this idea that you know this is only about five percent of human history. Maybe, maybe we don't know as much as we think, right? Maybe we're still in a bit of uncharted territory here, and we don't know what the consequences are going to be, right, in the future. So um, that's something to to think about. All right. So what is the industrial and technological revolution? All right, this is my working definition here. I'm not going to write it down because it's kind of long. The industrial and technological, technological revolutions – got to speak slowly tonight um, – are an increase in production. Right, so maybe we'll write down a couple of things here. An increase in production. Right, so we're producing things uh, brought about by the use of machines. This is the era of machines. Uh, characterized by the use of new energy sources. Leading to new technologies. Namely, and we got a couple different technologies that we're going to think about here. Um, 
we'll say uh, transportation and that's kind of engine so whether steam engine or diesel or uh, coal or uh, gas powered engines different kinds of engines right electricity and communication devices and that spans from tv radio phone smartphone cell phone right all these all these different communication devices okay so we have a big increase in production and and the industrial revolution for instance uh really starts off with does anyone know what the industrial revolution starts off with as far as the big the big new production that's happening it's yeah that's a little bit later really the thing that really increases in production is first is um well assembly lines uh come as part of this but the big increase in production and the machines that change is uh different kind of like fabrics right and textiles this is the big uh, – in the mid-18th century, the big incre- uh, start of production is that um, loop, they, I think the first powered machine is like a loom or something oh, okay. like that. Yeah, that and able to increase uh, production in textiles and uh, ma- kind of mass-produce fabric and mass-produce clothing, right, where before people were always making their own clothing out of – if they grew cotton, you know, they could do that slowly. Mm. Um, but otherwise, out of you know wool or sheep wool or whatever the the things were. But mass produce, mass production of textiles is the big thing, and some of these machines that come out of that. But then that starts to spill over into other areas as well, right? Um, eventually into you know the, these automobiles and such, right? And and when you get into the tech, the technological revolution, that's when the new technologies, right? So the idea of using um, machines right and and new and exploring new energy sources so in exploring new energy sources also included things like um you know like water right um like water powered uh and and wind powered different kinds of machines right these uh were the new energy sources used and then that led to these eventually led to the technological revolution um where you had major machines right like the engine the 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 big thing at first was the train right mm-hmm. and and then you had the steam train which allowed us to connect america basically and that was to get to place to place and then communication wise you had the telegraph right? and these are all in the beginning of the um or in the mid mid 19th century on the uh, around the, I'd have to double check all the dates, but yeah, I think it's the beginning in mid 19th century is when you get the train and telegraph, and then the train and telegraph spills over basically um, into the the telegraph eventually turns into the into the phone and the and the TV, right? Oh, and the other big one is the the camera, right? Oh, yeah. And so when you combine the telegraph and the camera, you eventually get the TV. The telegraph turns into the phone, um, and you get these other communication devices. And then the train, the idea radio. of the engine, mm-hmm. yeah, the radio. Mm-hmm. 
and then the train turns into um, eventually turns into the automobile right into cars so this is the big technological revolution um, and then all of these things uh, basically happen in by the by the turn of the century you have you have most of these things pretty well established okay all right so um, one question to ask yourself when it comes to technology and into this this increased production and things is and we'll, we'll get into some of the consequences here in a little bit but is there a point like well first of all I, I think a good question is is technology inherently in itself is it good is it wicked or is it neutral and I think that it's neutral yeah, right so this is kind of what the Bible shows so if you look at um, for instance one of the examples the Bible will use is middle working right so it'll talk about uh, basically steel or iron and uh, sometimes the iron the the metal in the Bible is pictured as swords and sometimes it's pictured as plowshares right and it's funny with the prophets you get this phrase right where in times of destruction the prophets will say beat your plowshares into swords and then in times of peace, they'll say, beat your swords into plowshares, right? But one is used for destruction, right? And one is used for production. So I think technology can be neutral, right? And it can be used for good or evil, right? Mm -hmm. um, just let's take something really simple, right? The TV, right? Um, the TV can be used to produce movies like The Sound of Freedom that we went and saw, right? Or that documentary that we watched a while back, Even Exile, right? Those are productions of TV, which I think are sanctifying. They're beneficial to the church. Or it can be used to produce, I don't know, name your raunchy TV show, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. A, a lot of them, um, right? The camera can be used to um, take pictures of beautiful things in God's creation and a family or the camera can be used to uh, take pictures of, of wicked things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it stores those memories either way, right? The camera doesn't really care. It's the people using it, and um, right? These things are tools. So um, it's, it's, really, it's really the people using it. So I think uh, that's a good starting point is that these things, again, they're neutral, um, but they can be used for evil. Right. Mm -hmm. They can also be used for good. They can be used for evil. And so um, one question I think that's worth asking is when it comes to these things and we're looking back on the history of the church is should the church ever try and limit the uses of these things? Right. So we have seen different churches do this. Right. So the Amish do this. Right. Mm -hmm. The Amish collectively decide we're going to limit the use of these different technologies for various reasons because we think they're going to negatively affect our, our church, right? So the reason that the Amish, for instance, didn't want the telephones um, in their houses was because they thought it would lead to increased gossip, right? Which is true, is true right? <laughs> um, now, if the the pros outweigh the cons, right, maybe it's, it's good to have telephones, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I would say in that case, I, I mean, I think they do, but um, 
I can't. I feel like I can't say that I think they don't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a phone. But um, or else I'd be going against my own conscience or something. But um, is there a time and a place where we ever should try and limit certain technologies? And I would say I I can definitely imagine scenarios where I think maybe we should. Right. If, yeah. if certain technologies are being used solely for wickedness. Right. Um, yeah. So I think a good example of this, for instance, is like, at what age should Christian parents let their kids have access to the internet? Right. This is a this is a big question, um, and and uh, I think that that's something that a lot of modern Christian parents really struggle with because of yeah. what's on the internet and how easy things are to find on the internet. So um, anyway, that's just to kind of open up the discussion there on on these things, and I, I think you can start to see there how some of these things affected the church. Okay, now. Let's keep moving just a little bit, and then we're going to eventually kind of make a list of how this technology effect, affected the church. Um, one important year that I want to point out is this 1920 year, because this is the end of the kind of big technological revolution. And, and I will say, you know, it, it's kind of interesting. On one hand, it seems like technology has gone crazy in the last 20 years as to what we have, you know, smartphones and AI and how quickly we can we can pull up things on the internet. Like, I mean, I remember. Um, yeah, I remember the dial-up internet. Like, I, I I was I was around for that. Um, so things are kind of in, insane how fast and available things are today. That being said. It is hard to point to anything. I mean, maybe AI is this, although AI is actually, when you research it, I mean, this is a whole different discussion. Um, when you research it, it's it's really not as impressive as it seems. But it's really hard to think of technologies that are actually new since 1920. Um, because basically all these things that we listed out here um, – exist in their more basic forms by 1920. Everything that we have today is kind of just a combination, right? Like a smartphone is really just the combination of a camera, TV, and a phone, right? All kind of mashed together. Now its speed and its proficiency has gotten way better. Um, but the internet, even the internet, is really just the telegraph on steroids. It's the the internet's just the telegraph and kind of the TV, if you will, together on, on steroids. I mean, all the internet is is a bunch of servers talking to one another in zeros and ones. That's all the internet is. So it's really not um, that new. I mean, you could say the internet is kind of another revolution, but in some ways, I think. All the really big discoveries of technology kind of happened by 1920. Anyway, that's that's actually beside the point. Um, my point that I wanted to make was that 1920 is the first year. This is kind of a side revolution, if you will. Um, it's the first year that more Americans live in urban areas than rural areas. It's the first year demographically. I'm surprised it was. Where urban takes over the rural. Um, before that, the majority of Americans, I mean, it's like 50-50 in 1920, right? It's like 51-49. Mm -hmm. 
but the majority of Americans prior to 1920 lived in rural areas. Mm-hmm. And think about the way that, that the, the city changes things, right? So in a small town, in a rural, small community, and this is going to get us um, kind of started on the church stuff, right? In a rural town, what's at the center of the town, right? You got the, the church. You right? sometimes operates as the school. Right. That's what's at the center of a small mm-hmm. town is the church. And what else happens in a small town? Everyone knows each other, mm-hmm. right? Everyone knows what's going on with everyone else, and um, that the uh, there's a lot less choices, right? You probably got one grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. You got one, one maybe two churches that you can choose from. Um, that the churches that the community is kind of centered on, right? Uh, you got whatever the area is that you live in. You got whatever is offered there is offered there, right? And especially before uh, the internet, you really don't have a lot of other outside influences, right? You got basically what that community offers. That's what you have. And unless you're going to drive to a, a big city, um, which, I mean, in 1920, there's you're not. It's not like you, you can just get in your Subaru and drive 500 miles really easily, right? There's not just gas stations and Dollar Generals all along the way. But most uh, people still had horse and buggies back then. Oh, yeah. 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 And my mother was born in 1920, and she rode to school. on The school bus was a horse and wagon. Yeah, there you go. On, so. Right. So um, very different, right? And, and then, the, so, and then in, as urban areas develop, what are urban areas, right? You have tons and tons of churches, right? I can't draw. I don't want to sit here and draw a bunch of churches. But you got probably more than just one or two churches, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not the center of the town anymore, right? And people don't know each other, right? Um, there's more access to more kinds of ideas, right? And with ideas, there are good ideas, right? So in, in, in urban areas, right, you also have you have things that I would consider good, like maybe operas and orchestras and museums and zoos, right? Uh, these things are great, but you also have things that you would never dream of in rural areas, right? You get less community. The people right. don't know each other and don't care about each other as much. Right. You get and you get um, you get basically sinful temptations in urban areas that you want to have in rural areas, right? You get clubs of various kinds, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and bars and things that uh, just would not really exist in, in certain rural areas. And so, uh, again, um, positives and negatives, but this is part of the changing America after the technological revolution, is that it becomes more and more urbanized. And today... I would argue that – I mean I haven't looked at the demographics, but even places that people consider rural really aren't rural in, in the sense of the old idea of a rural town, right? Um, because even in rural areas, everyone has gas-powered car- cars, right, that they can drive wherever they want. And oftentimes, you know – I mean people would consider like – I don't know. I don't know people who would probably consider Bahelia or Coldwater, right, or um, you know Como or something like that, a, a small town, you know, a rural area. Mm-hmm. 
places like that, in some ways, I mean, they're not really that rural. Like, yeah. there's Dollar Generals, there's gas stations, there's uh, cable, there's, cable, there's <laughs> internet. People still kind of don't know each other. We right. live in a very urban area, urbanized, urbanized time. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine what it was like to, to kind of grow up in a small town and never leave, right? And um, now people still do know each other in small towns. Yeah. Now, there are some small towns, you know, where people know each other more, mm-hmm. but um, it's definitely not to the degree I think it probably was in 1920, let's say. So anyway, um, all right, that kind of does our, our, our history portion of that first part, the first industrial revolution, technological revolution. So I want to think about just some of the effects of the technological industrial revolution on the church, Okay. Now, what I want to open up with is something positive, is that as we said last week, this time between the Civil War and uh, before World War I, so within the technological revolution time period, is the time of the most growth in the LCMS, right? So even though these technologies are developing, um, in fact, partly because these technologies are developing… Right, and we're able to spread uh, communication more quickly. We're able to travel more quickly, right, with tra- uh, trains and, and telegraphs and such. And um, as as communication spreads uh, and and production spreads, and uh, there's America becomes more prosperous prosperous during this time as well, right? This powerhouse of of industry. The LCMS grows, right? Um, people are moving here. Germans are moving here, and uh, missionaries are being fervent in their work, and they're uh, using things like telegraphs and trains uh, to get around, and that's a good thing, right? This is the biggest time of growth in the LCMS. I think we mentioned this last week, right, that if you go and find a lot of LCMS churches today and look at their founding date, their starting date… It's going to be in that like 1850 to 1900 range, right? That's when a lot of LCMS uh, churches are, are founded, all right? Especially if you go to like to find the mother church of a, of a certain area, right? Okay. Now, um, within the church, however, this also – this technological revolution also means less visitation. So – the pastor is simply not going to be in people's houses as much as he was before this time, right? And 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 here I'm really thinking, especially. Um, does anyone know around what year? I'd have to look this up exactly. Around what year the house phone, where you'd have a phone in your house, came about? It's probably the 1940s, 50s. Probably. I think it's probably. They still had party lines when I was a little girl, so probably. Yeah. Yeah, party lines. I would say 30s, maybe. Yeah, 30s, 40s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah, 1930s. So pretty soon after this 1920 period. Yeah. Well, anyway, recently I found out that announcing for communion, what we've talked about before, and the we've talked about before also about like the um, frequency that people would go do private confession. Uh, That the the practice of announcing for communion. It uh, plummeted in its uh, – there's some statistics on this. That practice basic like 
I, I mean, it still continued on for a little bit, but its major plummet was after everyone got a house phone. Because what did churches immediately start thinking they could do? Or people started doing, oh, I don't have to go to church to announce for communion. I can just call the pastor, right? And that's um, when that practice came about, right? So there's less visitation with, with phones. Um, people just aren't in person as much, right? Because, I mean, if you think about it, right, before the phone, I mean, yeah, there was the, the telegraph a little bit earlier on, but you didn't just send a telegraph you didn't like you sent. You had it to, to go where the yeah. You didn't go. You had to go to the post office, right? You didn't. You, you're not sending like we like we text today. That's not how telegraphs were, right? So, um, yeah, Steve. But you know, you don't have any privacy on a party line or a uh, telegram because there's always people yeah. involved. Yeah. You know, and then everybody talks about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So and those things were also so yeah they were more public too so um, a lot less. Uh, you had to be careful what you said. Yeah. Well, it gives them like, old ladies had something to do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Listening <laughs> on the party line. <laughs> I remember I was three shorts. Yeah, that's on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, so there's less visitation, right? I mean, because if you want to take care of church business, you're not sending emails, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or text messages or phone, even really a lot of phone calls. Um, prior to the technological revolution, church business was done all in person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was much more face-to-face. So even the church becomes a lot less face-to-face in this way. Well, yeah, go ahead. Because um, people started getting urbanized, after that it was harder to visit people because they didn't, like now, I mean, we don't live in the neighborhood. And back right. then, everybody was rural and lived right really around near, right around the church. Probably. Right. Yeah, and like you, y- y'all remember this, and I remember this too. Um, that it used to be a lot more normal to knock on people's doors. Oh yeah, yeah. And you should like, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I even when I was growing up, we'd go knock on people's, uh, our friends' doors in the neighborhood and, and see if our friends were home, you know. Yeah. And you had to be like able to. Sometimes you just walked in and said, "I mean, really, just yeah. in our day, you just walked." I believe in. it. Yeah. We did. I don't even know if we the doors weren't even yeah. locked. It was screen door. You just walk in, it squeaked, and you walked in. And, and everyone was ready to yeah. like see people. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I show up to people's houses sometimes now. I won't say who. Uh, <laughs> but I show up to people's houses sometimes, and they're not ready for me. Like, they're not like they're not dressed as they should be for visitors. <laughs> Their things aren't cleaned up. You know. I mean, I don't. I don't really care you know of course right. if things are a little messy or whatever, but um you know and, and it and it's just a totally different culture right in that regard like i mean it used to be that you would when you got up in the morning you'd get dressed and you'd stay dressed all day you know it's like now people wear pajamas all day but um but uh yeah it's uh this is a total side note but so it, at Old Miss, when I walk around the campus, and the it's it's so weird because I I don't know it's kind of like this when I was in college I guess too but um it, the the girls especially the guys you know just kind of wear whatever guys wear it's, you know jeans and t-shirt or whatever or jeans and a sweatshirt but um the girls especially it's funny because in the they all dress the same 
It was like a culture, right? And in the when it's warm, they're all wearing short shorts or tennis skirts uh-huh. and crop tops or something else that's inappropriate. Whatever it is, I don't know. Um, that's basically what they're all wearing, and it's cold. And then all of a sudden, winter comes, right? So it was cold last Thursday when I was down there. And uh, all of a sudden, they're all wearing pajamas. Yeah. It's like it goes from like makeup, you know, a bunch of makeup and crop tops and short shorts to the next week. It's like, you know, sweatpants and oversized hoodies and no makeup. I'm like, are these the two options we have? Like, it's the only two options. Anyway. Um, Better than slippers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm not sure about that. One. I don't know how you can pay attention in class if you're wearing pajamas. Like, yeah. I, because I, I, I feel like I, if I'm gonna pay, pajamas. if I pay attention, if I'm gonna pay attention to, I don't even wear the mailbox in pajamas. I don't either. I get dressed. Yeah. 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 But they, yeah. they shop in the grocery store the same way. Yeah. Weird. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean. Well, our whole culture's gotten to. Oh, yeah. back. Anyway, so this is uh that's kind of beside the point, but um, so back to church stuff. Okay, so worship, um, worship is the next thing I want to talk about. So uh, you know, speaking of, of bulletins and everything, we're going back in time a little bit the way we're doing the bulletins now, but um, worship changes too with the technological revolution. So um, it used used to be right that before technological revolution, what you have, you had the hymnal, right? Yeah. You didn't have microphones, right? So church mm-hmm. ch- church architecture has changed. Yes. I don't know if you know this, right? Because churches used to have to be designed to carry the pastor's voice, right? right? Where now they don't have to be because they, they can be much more economical in the, the architecture because um, it is just micro, – it's microphones, right? It's not as pretty. Right. Yeah, and it's not as pretty. It's, it's not as Um yeah, in, in some ways, I, I think uh, the. I mean, it's it's an interesting debate, right? Because there's there's always the whenever you go to do a church building committee. Um, I've never been on one, thank the Lord. But uh, there's my understanding is there's basically two sides, right? It's there's the people who say, well, we need to to save as much money as possible to be good stewards of our money. And then the other side is we need to spend all the money so that we can have a be reverent and, and build a beautiful building to the glory of God, right? So it's like it kind of you know stewardship and reverence kind of get paired against one another. So I understand. I mean, it's it's a it's it it, it makes sense that those two things kind of you have to balance them out when you're going to build a building. But um, yeah, I mean, prior to the technological revolution, churches had to be designed to carry voices, right? You couldn't. You just could not design a building where it would, where everything would be flat, right? So, um, because there weren't microphones, um, there wasn't printers, right? So, and worship changes. Um, there was no, there was no other option for worship other than to do what's in the book, right? Mm-hmm. That you had to use the hymnal. And um, we could get into the theological arguments about whether or not that's good or bad, but again, just kind of. My my point in this whole thing that we're talking about here is to just talk about how things changed and why they changed. I'm not trying to give a ton of value judgments here, but um, and I'm again I, I really want to point out too I'm not saying that old is better and new is bad because there are good things that happen and I, I'm gonna try and um, I'm gonna get into one more one more thing and then we're gonna turn to something good that happened but. 
Um, all right, so yeah, uh, you, you basically, there weren't screens, there weren't printed bulletins. You couldn't change up the worship service, right, in any way. It was, it's whatever it's printed in the book, that's what you're using, right? Um, and, you know, even if you go back, you know, we talked about the printing press with Luther. Um, for the first 1,500 years of the New Testament church, right? So um, something like 90% of human history, uh, you didn't even have books, mm-hmm. right? You just had stuff memorized. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the people who led worship had, had more things memorized, right? So um, just a totally different kind of world we live in today. So, all right. And then... Um, the other thing that I think has changed a lot since the technological revolution is in the, in the church, uh, this is just a guess, but I think it makes sense, is that there's, I think there's a lot less Bible reading that there used, than there used to be. Yes. And I, my intuition is that that's because there's less reading in general. Like if you talk to people today, mm-hmm. um, like especially younger people, they'll say, oh, I don't read. Like I don't like to read. Yeah. Right, like yeah. it's an option, right? Yeah. Where I think, and now, now you could say counter argument to this would be if you go back far enough in history, a lot of people are illiterate and don't read anyway. Right. Okay, so fair enough. But there's a time there where people are literate, and if they are literate, they read, and that's entertainment. Like that's the entertainment that you have. That's what we do. You don't have, yeah. I mean, you don't have a lot of TV. You don't have your phone, right? Um, you don't have YouTube and, and podcasts and all these things. And so people read more, and when they read more, they're also less um, – I think they're less uh, scared of reading the Bible. Like they're less um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Apprehensive. Uh, yeah, apprehensive or uh, like it's it's not as daunting of a task, right? If, they, if someone's used to just like reading books, then like reading the Bible is not that bad, right? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, Julie had to renew her uh, library cards. We went into the library up here, well, it's in Memphis area. Right. Half the books aren't there anymore. They've taken all the shelves out. Not all. Really? Half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's there, and it's just like all open area. What's in there? Chairs for little kids. Chairs. It's like a community yeah. center. Yeah. All, oh. the, all the periodicals are just like on one little rack, you know? <laughs> Yeah, people don't go in and like browse anymore. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah. And it's sit down in a chair for a couple minutes. I yeah, I even so here's a good story. Like all branch library has big print books. I like. That. I I, uh, I won't I won't use his name in, in case he listens to this, but um, one of my students who's a great student at at Old Miss, um, I had him take me to the library because I wanted to get a community library card for the Old Miss Library so I could. Um, check out I could have access to a theological library which is great mm-hmm. and um, we went up to the philosophy and theology section which he's interested in and I was like you know where's this where's that and he's like oh, I don't really know I don't really come up here a lot and I was like you don't come up here a lot like I was like how do you he's like well I buy the books that I need for class but like most of them I just get ebook everything's ebook right and I was like oh it's like man, I can't do. That. <laughs> I mean, y'all know me. I, you know, yeah. I, I have a lot of books, but um, yeah, that's. I mean, you have that option, even if you're studying something like philosophy or theology, which is, I mean, heavily literature based. Yeah. Like you don't have to like physically read books anymore. But I love browsing in the library. Like I love. Yeah, I do. Um, I do too. 
like and the way the libraries are set up is that if you go and find something that you're interested in, then you can look at the things around it too, and you might have, they might have other things anyway. But that's but kind you of you know back in the day, well when we were growing up, uh, the Bible, Daddy always had the Bible in the living room on the table. Right. And yeah, the family said, Bible, yeah. Exactly, and we all said, and, it, it, and now we didn't have two or three Bibles. It was just that one Bible, that yeah. whole Bible. And we would sit around, and he would read that Bible to us. Yeah. Now, you go to most people's homes now, you don't see a Bible anywhere. Well, I see them all the time because people will take them out. If they know <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That, that really happens. Oh, the pastor's coming. Go get the Bible. Yeah, I see all sorts of little devotions that are out of place. They don't think I notice. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Um, But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So, all right, let me get to something uh, uplifting about the new era of the technological revolution. Okay, so one of the things that develops here that we mentioned earlier is the um, radio. And um, this is something that the LCMS picks up on um, right away with something called the Lutheran Hour. And I'm sure you all know about the Lutheran Hour. It was probably uh, not not even – it was the most popular um, religious programming there for a couple decades. And it was actually, I think at one point, the most popular radio program Mm -hmm. on air across America. For a couple Pastor, decades. I have to tell you yeah. a story about the Lutheran Hour. When when I was young, like 10, 11 mm-hmm. years old, I, did, I had never heard the Lutheran Church or anything yeah. like that. But every Sunday afternoon, you'd go to your room or whatever and read or finish yeah. do homework and all that stuff. And I had a radio. And, you and I listened to the Lutheran Hour yep. before I ever knew what the Lutheran Hour was about. But I listened to it every week. Yeah. And it was, you know, really good. Yeah. But, yeah. it was, I, but I never knew I was going to be Lutheran. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That was before I met my friend who was Lutheran. Yeah. Because I met her in ninth grade or seventh grade or something. Yeah. I went to the church and her, so um, yeah. that, that is how the LCMS was, became known in the 20th century was Lutheran Hour. Mm-hmm. And um, you see that sign I have in my office that says the Church of the Lutheran Hour. I stole that from that church that closed down that we bought our organ from. Uh, I stole it from their parking lot. Uh, Angela said I could have it. Um, when did the Lutheran Hour start? So it started uh, – yeah, that's what I was going to get to. So it started in 1930. Its first oh, broadcast was 1930. Walter A. Meyer I. And the thing that's crazy about that is that – I just looked this up today. The – Radio was really not a thing until like the until the twenties. Um, so like the radio really like the first big broadcast where they they broadcasted a few operas and stuff in various cities and whatnot. That was like 1920, and then FM um, was not patented, so it was all AM in the twenties, yeah. and and it was still AM for I mean a lot of it was AM for a long time, but. FM wasn't even patented until like 1931. Hmm. So radio technology was super early, like was super um, early on in its stage, its life stages, when the Lutheran Hour started. 
So the LC Walter Meyer, who hatched this idea to, to go preach sermons on the radio, uh, he was at the cutting edge mm-hmm. of this technology. And he used the technology for good, right? Mm-hmm. He used the technology for evangelism. And well, if you, you can go and listen to some Walter Meyer sermons mm-hmm. on um, – and you can get books of Walter Meyer sermons on uh, on the internet. You can listen to some of the old broadcasts that they have recorded. And uh, he was a great preacher. Mm-hmm. He was a fiery preacher. And um, he became super popular. He was the speaker from 1930 to 1950. And then they've had a whole host of number of speakers since then. I mean, it's obviously not near as popular as it used to be. I mean, it does still air. But, um, yeah, I mean, at, it, it's, at its um, max, it was on – I mean, it was – on the CBS network, like on broadcasted across America every Sunday mm-hmm. for, yeah, for decades. You know, this is a, a positive of the urban areas because that's where it was broadcast from. Right. Because out in the country where my parents lived, they would hook their radio up to the gate, the metal gate, you know. Oh, yeah. And they would turn it a certain angle to pick up different stations. <laughs> that's awesome. Like the antenna. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, so uh, I think like you can see in that again the positive and the negative. So the positive is that we can put our information out there, and like that's I mean we could not do a church revitalization today without the internet. Like I'm just gonna say that. Like we the 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 reason that people find out who we are and what our worship is like and if they want to come here or not it's because they do research on the internet no one's looking in the phone book to come here right um, even for people to literally find the building they have to have the gps right um because like i mean i'll be honest with you i have a terrible sense of direction if i didn't have gps i would not do well in this world um i mean i'd probably figure it out i guess but uh that's the having our having having our stuff on the internet like having and having these podcasts right um where where people can can listen to the sermons and and the bible studies before they even come and know what it's like is is super valuable the negative right is that everyone can do that right anyone and everyone can put their ideas out on the internet and um so for this reason, now even in like very, you know, what we consider rural areas, um, you have kids who just have had access to the internet and think that they're, you know, witches or think that they're, oh, yeah. that what's the, what are they called now? The the kids who think they're animals. Um, furries. The furries. Thank you. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. yeah. There's kids in the public schools who want, um, I mean, in private schools too, for that matter. Uh, that that want litter boxes in the bathrooms because they think they're oh animals. <laughs> no, no, no. No, it's real. Yeah. I need to yeah. talk to them. They need medication. The parents definitely need it. Yeah, right. But that's because I mean, it's it's why? How does that even happen? Well, it's because with something yes. like the internet, yes. uh, every idea is allowed equal space, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, you have basically any idea that you can come up with, someone believes somewhere, yeah. and yeah. and that's now available for free for people to access and talk about. So some of those channels they just like to argue with other people, you know, on there. Yeah. Oh yeah, 
I mean, I, I always thought the reason that you went to church was to learn about Jesus and God and stuff like that and try to, you know, improve your. Uh, and, but the people today go in and just sort of learn some information to argue with somebody else on the <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, I think um, it's a hard thing because it's like, again, it's just both such a positive and such a negative. On one hand, there are three or four different people, families in this church that like literally um, – so that I just finished up a catechism with a student today at, at Ole Miss who um, found Lutheranism on the internet, right? Um, there are families here, uh, the, they're, well, both, both the Turner families, David Turner family and, and Chad Turner family, both of them found Lutheranism on the internet right, by watching YouTube videos about Lutheranism, right? And I didn't, I didn't even have to evangelize them, right? They were like, hey, we think we're Lutheran because we watch all this stuff about Lutherans. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sounds great. Um, on, the, on the other hand, you also have, uh, kind of like you were saying, Gary, like people don't, it's not like, there, there's a lot less idea of like someone being an authority, right? So like if, and, and I mean, I do this too, like, if I have a some sort of medical thing happen, I don't like only just trust my doctor. I also look it up on the internet because I mean honestly, like their their doctors are wrong sometimes. They're right? human. They're human. So they were uh, practicing. Yeah, <laughs> they're practicing. That's a good lie. Yeah. Uh, right. But or you know, but it used to be that you'd probably go just get a second opinion or something, maybe like that. But wow. but now it's like you can just do so much of your own research, right? Um, and same thing with religion, right? People don't just trust the local pastor to know what he's talking about. They do their own research, right? Exactly. So in some ways it's like – for me it's good because it just means I have to be on top of my game. Like I have to yeah. I have to be able to respond to all these other arguments and um, I can't just be a schlub who just kind of like phones it in. You know? <laughs> I got to I gotta be able to, to – but um, anyway, that's – so there's a, yeah, there's a lot less trust in authority, which is, a, again, a pro and a con. Yeah. Um, but because like sometimes it, it's annoying, right? Because I'm like, you should just trust me that this is what the Bible says right. and what it and what it means. And people are like, well, I read the, these other three interpretations on the Internet. It's like, OK, <laughs> you know, so that's it, it's again, it's a pro and a con. But I think the Lutheran Hour is a great example of of uh, using the technology to our advantage. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be thrown out the window. It can it can be used uh, to to our advantage. All right, um, that's a good stopping point, and we're over time. Next time we'll do the sexual revolution. Um, so that's where we're gonna end tonight. All right. Any final questions, comments? Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that again you have preserved your church throughout history. And even through times of intense change, uh, you and your gospel are unchangeable. And we thank you that you have given us that unchangeable gospel, uh, that we and we pray that you would help us uh, to use all the gifts of creation that you've given us uh, to spread that gospel and to share that gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.